Hello and welcome once again to episode 58 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So before we get into our main topic, it's time for our indie app spotlight. Today we are checking out Christmas Guide by Peter Yacoub, an iPhone app perfect for the holiday season. So Christmas Guide makes it easy to enjoy over 30 traditional Christmas carols, learn about more than 40 uh, dates and events that occur during the season, and learn about the fun characters like Santa, and even match you up to one of those characters using the magic of machine learning. Uh, Christmas Guide is currently free to try via test flight, so please be sure to support Peter by trying it out and submitting your thoughts and feedback. And if you are an indie developer, we want to hear from you. Please reach out to us on Twitter at CodeCompletion via DM so we can spotlight your app in the future as well. So this past week, as we record, I've been taking some time off in a much-deserved break and uh, started playing some games for the first time in what feels like forever. So it got me thinking, what are the differences between game development and app development? Yeah, that's a good question. Um... I don't know. My my experience with game development is fairly little. I know that a lot of times they'll uh, use some sort of, I don't know what you call it, I guess, like a, a game development IDE, like Unreal. Uh, mm-hmm. They've got their own app and everything. But I think ultimately it kind of just ends up being some C++ if, if I'm not, or C or C++ probably. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm honestly not sure. It's definitely coming from an app development standpoint, definitely different. And even within app development, we've got things like SpriteKit, which I have very, very barely touched. And so it's a whole kind of world that, you know, personally, I know very little about and kind of, I guess, the process of development other than people perhaps being overworked and underpaid. But as you alluded to, it's basically the same, like, right, we're writing a piece of software. The only difference is instead of um, fulfilling a need like an app would typically do. You are fulfilling a need of enjoyment by uh, presenting some audiovisual material in a unique and interactive way that makes it into a game. Uh, we can get into the whole of what is a game uh, question that the sure. most re- recent Epic case uh, kind of uh, made light of. Like at every point in in the case, I swear the the um, attorneys were asking, like, what is a game? Like, what's the definition? As if that was, like, the major uh, important thing to discern (laughs) whether in-app purchases applied or not. Um, But uh, there's not too many differences, like, from a high level um, in terms of, like, what a game is and what an app is uh, from a developer's point of view. Like, ultimately, you're writing a program, right? Uh, But as you also alluded to, the tools that you use to make games are oftentimes very different than the tools that you use to make apps. Like as app developers, we are very used to kind of living in Xcode uh, and writing our Objective-C or Swift um, and using something like UIKit or SwiftUI to put together um, and uh, to put together a UI, right? Um, so what are the tools that a game developer might use instead um that like we're we're both unfamiliar like spoiler alert uh we are not game developers but we are app developers so we can we can allude to it from our point of view or our side of the conversation as much as we can uh so that way if anyone in the audience is interested in game development like they can 
they can know what to kind of learn more about if they wanted to go down that route. So uh, back to my question, what are the tools um, that you, like you brought up one of them, right? Yeah, so you've got Sprite Kit, which is um, sort of a 2D uh, engine or I guess API, I don't know what to call it, library. Um, and then you've got uh, SceneKit as well, which you can use SceneKit definitely for non, um, like non-game uh, applications, I guess, uses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've also got like AR kit, right? If you wanted to make some AR game, which also, again, you could use for a non-game application, but uh, definitely people have, and I'm sure will continue to make games for kind of all of those, depending on what you want to do. Um, oh, sorry. I should mention SyncKit is like the 3D uh, kind of uh, maybe not equivalent, but if you want to use 3D assets, I'm assuming that you would use something like SyncKit. Uh, mm-hmm as opposed to sprite kit so kind of depends i think on what you want to do um as far as i know and definitely correct me if i'm wrong i'm sure i am here i i don't know if people really use sprite kit for anything other than game development i can maybe see a view or two maybe on like a home screen of an app or something with some particle emitter or something but um I don't know. Do you know any other uses for for Sprite Kit? No, I, I think it's it was basically made to replace Cocos 2D, uh, mm-hmm. which was the the kind of mobile uh, friendly game development environment um, that you as a gamer could go ahead and use to put together a simple uh, tile based game. Now, what do we mean by tile based game? Uh, if you've ever owned a Game Boy uh, and you uh, or an older like NES or Super Nintendo, anything before 3D graphics really took off, um, then you would immediately recognize that like everything is very, um, I don't want to say rectangular, but it's it's very repetitive, and you have like right. a lot of common elements over and over and over again, and that's essentially what a sprite is. Um, it's one element that you can. Uh, very cheaply create in um, the device's memory and then say, I want to plaster this all over the place. Um, So you can have a wall, a background, uh, and then you'll have different sprites for different things. Maybe like a tree sprite uh, or maybe a platform sprite. You'll have one for the character, one for the enemies, uh, and so on and so forth. So uh, Sprite Kit, uh, as its name alludes to, uh, makes it very easy to kind of build this sort of uh, game uh, because it gives you all the tools necessary uh, or that you need to kind of put together a game of this nature, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. I think Sprite Kit would be super cool. Again, I've I've looked into it, but I've used it very little other than a couple maybe tutorial projects on like Ray Wenderlich or something. But I've always wanted to make a game on iOS and kind of specifically with Sprite Kit, like... Um, one of my favorite game franchises is Fire Emblem, and it's very tile based. It I, literally like you move around in a in a grid, and so I feel like it sort of lends itself really well to Sprite Kit. And um, there is a Fire Emblem, like a Nintendo uh, Fire Emblem game, on the App Store, um, but I I think it would still be really fun to get into and just kind of learn about. I think one thing with with making a game is the whole. Um, you have to come up with assets or you have to find assets. And that's mm-hmm. like its own whole thing where 
I've thought about doing that game and everything and just having like letters or something for the tiles because I don't know where to get assets. I don't, you know, necessarily want to hire someone to make the assets for me. So I guess that was, has always been like a little bit of a, a blocker to actually kind of going through with it. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I think that there may be some like preloaded assets. I could be wrong, but anyway, Mm-hmm. I think it would be super fun to learn about Sprite Kit in general. Yeah, I don't think there are any preloaded assets, but there are open oh. source assets that you can kind of mm-hmm. use for this purpose. Um, but if you've ever wondered why a lot of the indie games on the App Store all still use the same style from like the 80s, uh, for lack of like a better time frame, um, it's because as a single person, your ability to do everything that is necessary for a game to be developed is very limiting, right? You are yeah. a single person to do the code, which means all of the behavior in the game, the storyline, uh, the writing, the design work, uh, the music, like you need to do a lot of stuff. So limiting yourself to what you might think of as an archaic art style of pixels uh, for instance, um, or something that has a smaller color palette is actually what makes it possible for a single person to pull it off yeah. uh, at the same time. Because at that time, like when Nintendo was making The Legend of Zelda, for instance, the very first one was something doable by a small team. You know, it wasn't it wasn't all hands on deck to uh, <laughs> make that game at the beginning, at least maybe towards the finish line and get more and more resources to kind of finish it. Um, but at the beginning, it's just, hey, like, how far can can we take this idea? And you have 50% of the game at that point. Um, and then the other 50% is just the polish and, and making it as good a game as you can possibly make it. And if you look at a lot of those early games, like The Legend of Zelda, uh, there isn't necessarily all that much polish in the very first one. It was the later ones that gained more and more polish over time. Um, so it's certainly possible for one person to kind of make something um, of that level. Uh, and ultimately, it comes down to what you are, as a developer, comfortable with. Um, like, you need to make some assets, so you make some really low-resolution assets, so no one can tell you that they're badly designed. Like, <laughs> it's a yeah. given at that point, right? Yes. Um, as long as you get the idea across, then maybe people can get immersed enough to turn a blind eye to the fact that uh your blocks are not more detailed than uh an eight by eight like set of squares right yeah exactly i think sorry to cut you off i was just gonna say like i think that style is super cool and i i always love like the pixel art style in general so for me that would probably be what i'd want to do anyway i wouldn't want anything high fidelity per se um so yeah i think it would be cool it just seems like like you were saying you've got music you've got assets you've got the code which is fine um and all of these things where it seems like there is a lot more it's it's a lot more broad the amount Mm -hmm. of things that you need to do then as an app developer you are writing the code and maybe coming up with uh some you know ui design and that's basically it you don't have to worry about music generally i suppose or anything like that in sort of a basic app so there's a lot there but Mm -hmm. at the same time i think it'd be fun and yeah maybe that is a good solution where you just find some uh, royalty free music you find some open source assets and just kind of get started like that 
Mm -hmm. maybe just as a learning uh, experience more than anything that than actually trying to release it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely no designer. (laughs) That's the problem. Yeah. And you don't even need to be a developer to make games. Like there are Mm -hmm. tools like Game Maker's uh no game uh, now i'm drawing a blank um i think it is game maker game maker yeah um so so there's a there's a tool called game maker uh and it essentially allows you to put together um a and a game uh of a very constrained like vision like it has to fit within what the tool can like make for you but it allows you to be creative and design multiple screens. You have a character that moves with controller inputs, and you piece together a game little by little. And a very famous game that was made this way is Undertale, for instance, um, right. where uh, the de- the developer of the game wasn't necessarily hunkering down with C++ code to make that work. They just got right to making the game that they wanted to make. Uh, and they were able to pull in existing experience, making music, which is why the music is amazing. It's not that yes. that wasn't their first rodeo with that. Uh, but they were able to pull in like existing um, skills that they had to make a game that uh, worked really well. And ultimately, it was it's a black and white game. Like there's no color, there's uh, very little definition in terms of shape. But you immediately think past that as you start playing and get immersed in the story. So there are other uh, facets of game development that are super important that can help mask the deficiencies that you might have as a developer um, and might not be able to uh, bring everything, all those things together uh, necessarily. Right. Yeah, that's, that's definitely fair. Um, and I just looked it up. It is Game Maker, and that game that I, that I mentioned, like it was probably a dozen or so episodes ago, uh, Loop Hero, that I started really playing, is also made in Game Maker. So uh, you can make some really cool games. And I mean, Undertale is critically acclaimed, and they have their characters in Smash Bros. and everything, which to me is, you know, the the apex. That's when you know when you make it. When you made it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but just me being a fanboy there, but. Yeah, I mean, super cool that you you've got all of these avenues to make a game, um, and you know I, another cool thing is depending on how you make the app, definitely not in Sprite Kit, but you've got um, I don't actually know if they still do it on iOS, but like Unity what was or is cross platform, so mm-hmm. you can get your game out to more people. I don't know if people still actually you can do that in iOS still. Um, it's been a hot minute since I've seen a game in Unity, but I also don't really get games anymore um, on my phone. Well, so, one of them is Frenzic. So if if you've owned an iPhone in the early days, one popular game was Frenzic, where you kind of match up these little uh, pizza pies uh, or cores, as they call them, to kind of get like-colored circles completed. Um, that was recently re-released on uh, Apple Arcade, and the mm. developers who you can follow um, on Twitter, Icon Factory, uh, they have been pretty liberal in sharing that that they are using Unity to kind of put this together um, and voicing their grievances that Unity isn't super uh, reliable in M1 Max yet. Um, mm. So they've been they've been uh, honest about that, uh, but they do use Unity to put that app together, that game together, and. Uh, it is a very different feeling uh, game than the original was. There's uh, like support characters. There's uh, the whole 
the whole thing feels more complete, really. Yeah, and Apple Arcade is super cool. I mean, kind of feels like a tangent. I mean, we're not talking about game development mm-hmm. specifically, but Apple Arcade has been interesting to um, see the games that are on there. At, at first, I wasn't particularly interested in any games, but lately I've noticed that, yeah, they've been coming out with like, I guess what you could call classic iOS games that have been around mm-hmm. for basically the length of the App Store. You've got like uh, really bad chess and... Um, tiny tiny wings i don't know yeah a bunch of games just add a like, plus to it and then that's how you yes know it. exactly right and <laughs> it's like oh shoot i played these threes. on yeah i played these on like my iphone 4 like these have been around forever mm-hmm. forgot about them and kind of rediscover them on apple arcade so it's cool that they're doing that and i don't know it the games are simple right like it, it's an apple arcade game but like they'll add things to them or even if they don't just making it so that it runs on a larger screen phone than you know our our four by three displays used to be um super cool that people are i don't know it's interesting apple arcade is like this weird thing where i think apple is like half putting in their feet into gaming but they're not like super committed where now we have macs that are like could probably push you know some some games to their limits and i'm interested to see in like the next couple years if they get more um less like arcadey titles and more like triple a ish titles in Mm -hmm. apple arcade or at least incentivize developers to come on to mac os uh, and ios i don't know yeah they definitely to see there's a few games like that like ocean horn is kind of the Mm -hmm. more uh, zelda clone 3d zelda clone type game um and that one seems like it's it's up there in terms of pushing graphical performance but not nearly as much as what a pc gamer quote-unquote would claim like this is the triple a game yada yada uh it very much uh mirrors nintendo's ability to uh kind of push graphical performance rather than a playstation 5 or uh what a pc build uh could potentially get you so uh it's it's hard to draw kind of um strings there of yeah yeah something that nintendo does really well is like especially with the nintendo switch is they have like if you ever go on the their e-shop they have so many indie titles it's ridiculous and again like that it lends itself to probably being cross-platform and everything um but they've just got i mean thousands of games i've just never even heard of that are just small indie titles that are you know going for five ten dollars or whatever and it would just be super cool to see that on mac and not that i need my mac to be a gaming computer or anything like i love my switch i also have a pc for when i want a game on that but um i feel like for as much as they're defending the app store it would be cool to have more in there than apps and apple arcade and gotcha apps because that Mm -hmm. seems like that's about all there is yeah and and there is also a lot of uh kind of pushback from indie developers uh for like publishing on a mac they say oh there's too many steps involved and this and that uh and it's easy for us to be blind to that because we use xcode and xcode takes care of it all 
But if you don't that's use right. Xcode, then you need to figure out signing. You need to figure out yeah, notarization. You need to figure out uh, this and that. You have to have a paid developer's account uh, and all that. Uh, so if there are any 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 game developers listening, uh, if you can somehow coerce your build system uh, or whatever cross-platform thing you are using to be able to finally build using Xcode, all you really need is a $99 a year like developer account and you can publish on Apple platforms, whether that's on the App Store or yourself. Like you would be able to self-sign uh, things and people wouldn't be greeted with scary dialogues the first time they try to launch it and it just fails um so that's like the bare minimum that you need as uh as a third-party developer and it's thankfully not that much like with nintendo and sony it's a big uh, private nda and uh multi-thousand dollar development kit uh, to kind of right. be able to test on the platform and all that. So thankfully on the Mac, yeah, you need a Mac. So I guess that's the multi-thousand dollar development kit. But a MacBook Air is like more than good enough uh, for yeah. many uses. And especially games, like um, it has the same chops in it that Apple's mobile devices have, which is about right up there with a Nintendo Switch. So it's it's yeah. not underperforming. Yeah, no, that's totally true. It's I, <laughs> I'm honestly blown away like again it's tangent here but i love my nintendo switch i think it's like quote unquote the perfect console in the sense that um you know sometimes i'll be like ah i want to play a game on the couch and it's like oh i can do that oh i want to put it on my tv i can also do that so nice so yeah it's good i uh it's so interesting nintendo's kind of methods of gaining market share where they're not competing for like highest frame rate highest resolution and yet because they have so many uh, exclusive titles and they kind of cater to that uh they do really well not to say that everything nintendo does is great but um i'm hopeful to see what the next nintendo switch is mm-hmm. well I hope there is no go for it sorry they definitely learned from their mistakes, right? They tried something very similar with the Wii U where you're like connected to TV, but then like as soon as uh, your parents want to use the TV, you can pull that thing away and start playing in a nearby room and it would still work. But the technology wasn't there yet to be able yeah. to have uh, everything be in the handheld portion. Uh, so it's it's easy to think that, oh, they uh, they failed at that and therefore they scrambled to get something up. Uh, next, they didn't really need to scramble or rush because they did plan uh, to have plenty of profit margins to be able to have the company survive through hardships uh, like that and try different things. Like Nintendo is known for trying wacky things every now and then, and some things succeed and some things don't. Uh, but they learn from each of those, and that's why they have a success like the Switch at the end of the day. They, they realized there were great things about the Wii U, and there were some not so great things about it as well uh and they could package that in a way that makes everyone happy and i think the switch is the culmination of that right um and yeah. it's a testament that they didn't have to change anything for how many years now <laughs> almost four years uh yeah and it's crazy it's the same thing like the new one came out it doesn't make it more powerful it just makes it more battery efficient um yeah yeah that their soc is something like seven or eight years old like it well predates the switch even what they have in there 
whatever mm-hmm. the NVIDIA S- SOC is. And yeah, that's great. I mean, it would be cool to have it at running at, you know, 1440p or something. But at the same time, it looks fine on a TV and it looks, you know, great on when you're playing in handheld. So mm-hmm. uh, super happy with it. It's cool. Yeah. And recently I've also been uh, watching some streams of uh, the beta Ocarina of Time, like mm. dig ups that have happened over time and some uh some developers essentially reverse engineered uh how the betas would have looked and all that so that way people can play them and stream them and stuff like that um and it really goes to show you how much more amazing the legend of zelda ocarina of time looks than super mario 64 on the same console like this is something that nintendo had a few extra years to really learn about like how they can squeeze every ounce of performance out of uh, that thing to make something much more uh, polished and much more um, uh, of an experience than was possible. Uh, and you can only really do that when you stay on a platform and when you really try to improve things as much as you can uh, with the limitations that you have, right? Yeah, yeah. And it kind of, I, I'm sure we've kind of talked about this before, but the, the whole concept of limitations is super interesting from really kind of any perspective whether it's development and in ios or for a game right you've got some limitation whether it's memory or uh the graphical power that you have and you kind of make the most of it um and yeah i mean ocarina of time is great at that but you've also got um games coming out today like for the pc that are like very like undertale is a perfect example it's not graphically intensive. You could run it on, you know, a, probably a 15, 20 year old PC at this point, and it would run fine. That's kind of a cool thing. I think that not everyone is striving for probably because they won, they don't have the assets or, you know, team required to build something super big, but also some people just like that style and they kind of just go for whatever. I don't know. Like they, they kind of almost place, artificial limitations on themselves where like ocarina of time they were pushing the envelope but now people they, they like, were trying to make it, it look realistic <laughs> yes and i i don't know if you you ever saw this you probably did but like the um i don't even know if it was like an actual demo but they were like screenshots of like the next zelda game back in the day when it was mm-hmm. like pre ocarina of time it was just conceptual forget what it was called but it looked amazing even in screenshots and you know, it didn't quite live up to that, but they, I'm sure they tried their heart out to get as good as it can be. And I mean, it, I think that's half the reason that it's such a, a classic game. I mean, I don't know if it's still number one, but it was, you know, number one best game of all time for like easily a decade or two. So, uh, and, and that's awesome. And now people are kind of doing the opposite where they're pulling the envelope back and they're saying, okay, I'm just going to like stay within this. And like, that's the point. Maybe whether it's to, uh, get, um, more people able to play the game because they don't need the requirements, uh, you know, to be super high or whatever it is, but it's cool to see people still making games that are whether, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. I guess it's, it's Mm -hmm. cool to see that people aren't always just going for like, the best graphical fidelity, but they're just kind of being artistic with this now that maybe we have the headroom to do so. 
and it's not maybe as hard as it would have been to make something like I'm sure that you could probably make assets that look uh, sort of on the same level of a Nintendo 64 game relatively easier than you could have back in the day, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, definitely. And it's almost as if striving for reality like sets you up for like that much more of a headache. Where when you do take a more stylistic approach, you have a lot more leeway to not be perfect um, in a way. Like if you yeah. if you want to make a realistic looking human, you have to make a hundred percent realistic looking human. If you mess up a tiny bit, you failed. Uh, whereas it's that if you make valley. yeah yeah. Um, whereas if you make something that reminds you of a human but is not striving to replace it, aka Link yes. from Ocarina of Time, you <laughs> are totally fine. Like as long as that's not in high resolution, you're not like perturbed by it at all uh, because it's not replacing reality in any way. And your brain is not like firing off the alarms that that's a that's a alien invader trying to get into your click somehow. Um, and not that we need those alarms, but that's that's something that we all have built in. And unfortunately, uh, that makes it hard for people to make stuff that looks realistic. In fact, one of my favorite games from a while ago was a game called Geometry Wars, which is basically an Asteroids kind of knockoff with like more power-ups and stuff like that. Um, but it does not evolve on Asteroids and making like a realistic ship and realistic Asteroids mm. uh, in any way. It's The ship is still triangle. Uh, the Asteroids are quite literally squares or triangles or circles. That's it. Um, mm. But where they excelled was taking the graphical abilities of modern hardware um namely the xbox when this like first came out and they added a third dimension to the game without adding a third playable dimension meaning when you blasted an enemy and they blew up suddenly the z direction of the fabric of the background started bouncing up and down Mm. uh, and there's flares and particle effects going crazy and the whole screen is lighting up um and it's like visually very mesmerizing when at the end of the day, the game's still Asteroids. Um, so you can use the graphical abilities that we now have that you didn't back then, but still make something as simplistic as games from back then and still have a successful game out of it. And I think that if you want to get into game development, instead of striving to get that super realistic thing right off the bat, go for something more stylistic and... Yeah play with the leeway that you have like say you make something super simple and you still have another 10 milliseconds on your frame budget you can not use it and it'll be great for battery or you can use it to add stupid flair that just makes people smile um and it that might be enough that can set your game apart from like the rest right yeah for sure i think (laughs) the the example that came to me was uh undertale and i'm not gonna like spoil anything but it's very 2d pixel art the entire game and then when you get to like the very 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 end it's of the not game, <laughs> it is insane and you're like it it's so jarring in a good way because it's unlike anything that is the rest of the game and it is so insane and you're like okay uh, this is it in a stylistic sense it just uh I don't know. It's it's very cool stylistically because mm-hmm. of things like that. The hardware can push that where uh, I'm sure that couldn't have run on an like an 
SNES or something. Yeah, the game up until that point like, would have been fine, but then from that point yes. forward, it's like, uh, we don't have that many colors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, super cool to see something like that. Um, real quick, I, I, I wanted to go back to Ocarina of Time because I think both Dimitri and I really, really like that game. Um, if, if you don't follow kind of Ocarina of Time or you haven't like played it since the nineties or whatever, there are some super dedicated people to, uh, on kind of in the, I guess, community of Ocarina of Time still today, not, uh, not the least of which are like streamers that are you know speed running the game and stuff but even more than that kind of on more on the topic of game development is kind of what dimitri said with there was this um it's this crazy story it's like someone found a, a nintendo 64 cartridge of like a beta version of f-zero but only half of the cartridge had F, the the beta on it and the rest of the cartridge had parts and like assets uh of the like a very early version of ocarina of time and so there is it was a one year one year out from release the space world 97 thing that's a huge gap of time in development uh that things changed and what these people did is well one they're they're doing a um i think they're calling it the ocarina of time decompilation project so they're literally decompiling the game and making like basically trying to figure out how it was written so that they can reverse engineer which is amazing uh but like dimitri said someone put together this this beta showcase and uh made it playable a playable rom that you could throw on an emulator or even on a nintendo 64 if you uh had the right um tool i think it's like an everdrive or something mm-hmm. um that's amazing like so i don't know uh, i've talked to dimitri and and the other code completions about this before but i think people's dedication to uh old well not even old games but just like consumers dedication to games and like preserving them especially like ocarina of time and you've got this whole thing with i don't know if you've been kind of looking at it but this whole thing with rockstar games and taking down um fan-made mods of like the gta games that make them look super nice visually uh way past what they were capable of before um there's a lot of dedication that people have and it's super cool to see um, programmers getting into this not just saying like oh yeah we'll let speedrunners speedrun the game for 20 plus years but they're actively uh, developing tools to make it so that they can uh, run through the game quickly and add debug menus and um, add macros so that they can or I don't know if you call it a macro but like record gameplay so that you can play it back later as like a showcase and just there's so much stuff going on that uh it's it's super cool to see all of this dedication but it's also like very disheartening to see like the soul-sucking corporate side of game development studios and there's been a ton of stuff lately with like blizzard and ea and stuff and it's just like going back to what i said at the start generally it sounds like and I'm no game developer, so I don't know, but I think very large companies like that tend to very much overwork their employees and underpay them. And it's, it's, it's a bummer. It's like, there's so much love. I mean, I'm sure that so many people coming from 
you know, our age and before grew up with just these very basic video games. They want to work on games their whole life. I remember when I, I was growing up, I wanted to at least be a game tester, if not like, you know, build my own games. That sounded amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've just got these people that are kind of taking advantage and not really keeping like the heart or the soul, I guess, of this love in, in game development specifically, if that makes sense. Well, it's it's the it's the Disney uh, thing all over again, right? Disney right. is famous for pushing copyright law to no longer encompass like what a reasonable <laughs> amount of time would be, and it's now like infinite uh, in terms of like Disney own Disney's ownership of its intellectual property uh, and preventing that from entering the public domain over time. Like it's because right. of Disney that things no longer enter the public domain when the only things left in the public domain are really old at this point, uh, and no one's really interested in it anymore. Uh, so it could have been we could have lived in a different future where the games we grew up with would have entered public domain by now, and we could go ahead and uh, do what we want with them at that point. Like, yes, Nintendo is still technically making money off of Ocarina of Time, but unfortunately, the most recent incarnation of it on the Switch uh, is kind of not the greatest representation of it. The graphical, like, represent fidelity is off. Uh, The input lag is apparently really off. Um, And it just, it's unfortunate for, it's unfortunate for people who, really like these older games that they can't uh, they can't legally like use them in ways that nintendo wouldn't be happy with or for all these other games where people are kind of having fun improving them in ways that the original developer never would uh they are just more interested in maintaining their copyright and trademarks on them and preventing people from like enjoying them like there's an excellent uh, remake of the original Legend of Zelda with 3D like voxels, uh, and someone just like put that on GitHub one day. Is like, hey, I made this. Um, but then Nintendo very quickly brought it down because they're like, no, we still own that. Um, yeah. And 30 years later, they're still releasing stuff uh, with uh, the Legend of Z- the original Legend of Zelda. So like, they are still interested in making money off of it, and therefore we can't have it. That's that's all there is to it. <laughs> The Nintendo Ninjas, they get everyone. I don't know anything about, about game development. It's hard. I mean, I like games, but <laughs> my experience with the development of them is is zero. Well, I actually do have experience making a single game. Uh, and that was a game called Sluzzles, and that was for the iPhone. Um, and it was written like an app, because that's all I knew. So it mm. used core animation to move stuff around. Um, as one does when no one knows nothing about game development. Um, all the sound effects were me in front of a microphone microphone going <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, and it worked. Like when you isolate that and you don't have a face doing popping sounds, it sounds like you're tapping and something's popping. Uh, and uh, I was able to make a very simple puzzle game that was kind of like a Rubik's Cube, kind of like a sliding puzzle. Um, and it was something that was possible for a single person to kind of make in two weeks, which is what it took to make the original uh, version. Uh, So that is to say anyone who wants to kind of like make a game, if you have an idea, if you have a story you want to tell, I would say just go for it. 
set limit set limitations on yourself uh, so that way you can kind of bring it to completion um, and you can learn from that whole experience, right? Um, I would have never thought to use like my own mouth in front of a microphone to make sound effects or stuff unless I was like, well, it's boring without sound effects. So how can I like spruce it up? And I was just messing around one day. I was like, perfect. Um, so, uh, there are, there's this thing called a ludum dare. Uh, I think that's what's called, right? Um, where every now and then, uh, it's a game jam where you have basically 24 hours to kind of make the most simplistic game based off of a really simple prompt. Uh, and then, uh, you'll be able to like browse everyone else's creations at the end of it. And it's a great way to kind of get your foot wet, uh, get your feet wet and try it out, uh, without feeling like you need to complete and polish every aspect of it. And if there's a, something that you end up liking from that process, then you can go ahead and like take it further. That's my own advice uh, for anyone that wants to kind of get into this, like start small and work your way up because as we said, it's a lot to for one single person to do. Um, and as you iterate, just like I'm, I keep using this, but it's a great example in my head. Uh, if you iterate on something like The Legend of Zelda, then you end up with Ocarina of Time, and then you end up with Breath of the Wild 30 years later. Um, like it's, It didn't happen overnight, um, but it is something that can happen if you build upon your own abilities little by little. Like You're not going to be the one person making all of Breath of the Wild, but you'll have all the experience necessary to kind of lead a team to go ahead and make something like that actually happen over five years of development. Um, so you got to build up little by little, because if you take five years at a time, you're never going to get a game out really. Um, and no one spends, no one who's spent five years making a game, that's never their first game. Like they've always made smaller ones and they played around with the idea several times before that. So uh, that's my advice to anyone who wants to get into making games. If all you know is development, or if you don't even know development, but you have other uh, skill sets, like you don't need the development part. You can still make uh, a game. Uh, the Playdate, for instance, is a very constrained piece of yeah. hardware that's coming out, and they are they have an entire web-based um, authoring studio where you can make a Playdate game uh, that's based off of sprites and stuff like that. Like it's it's limited in that way. But you don't need to be a programmer, which is like 100% possible for everyone uh, to kind of get into, uh, no matter your experience level. Yeah, that that reminded me. Um, again, both Dimitri and I both watched the um, like the Corridor Digital Corridor Crew, um, and a couple of the people on that team, um, like within the last year or so, got into Unreal Engine and stuff, and they'll do these, you know, challenges where they have to follow along with a Bob Ross uh, tutorial and they can kind of follow along with whatever they want. So like one person was using the iPad app Procreate, one person was using Blender, um, and one of the guys used Unreal Engine to build this entire uh, island scene and everything in, in Unreal Engine. He's so doing here's a scenery in real and time. here's a controller. <laughs> And really, yeah, it's so cool. And he was just dropping things in. I don't think he wrote any code, but there's a couple of videos of them using Unreal Engine. It's like drop in assets. You can add logic and everything, uh, conditional logic to make the game work and, and do things based on whatever conditions. So 
definitely possible without um, without coding experience if you want to get into it as well. Or you could try something like SpriteKit or I don't really know how it works if you can drop into the C. I'm sure you could and like the C and C++ even in Unreal Engine if you wanted to tweak things, but that's where my knowledge ends. This week's episode of Code Completion is once again brought to you by Super Easy Timer. Super Easy Timer is a quick and easy to use timer app for your Mac. It's completely text-based, so you can type in English what you want, 20 minutes or 5 p.m., hit enter, and instantly start a timer. The timer understands English text to create, update, and start a new timer. You can quickly change an active countdown, even while it's still counting down. There are simple keyboard shortcuts to reset or pause, no menus, no sliders, just use English to control your timer. We want to thank Super Easy Timer for sponsoring our show. Search for Super Easy Timer on the Mac App Store today to give it a try. So now that we've gone through our topics, it's time for Complete the Code, where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. Spencer? Yes, so we have a winner for last week's async await prompt, and I think this is a repeat winner, and again, I am probably going to mess up your name, so I'm sorry. Um, Mio or Miho, uh, Grassanin, who writes that we can replace let with async let to have the tasks return futures instead, and add in a wait before present item, so it's only called once the promises uh, fulfilling those futures are resolved. And that's absolutely correct. Uh, so this week, we have another async await question for you all. So as always, you can, uh, if you're listening to the podcast, you can check the podcast art or the show notes to follow along. Um, here we have an async method that loads a list of images one at a time from a list of IDs. Uh, how can you make all calls to load image run concurrently and then return images in the same order? So thank you, Spencer. So if you think you can complete the code, tweet your answers to us with hashtag complete the code, all one word. Uh, the first to get it right will get a shout out on the following week's show. Now, this week, we don't have a new piece of tech per se for our mini review corner, uh, but Spencer was lucky enough to get his COVID-19 booster vaccine. So what's your mini review on that? Yes, well, I have uh, 6G now in my arm. <laughs> now that I have three, it's it's two Gs per, per shot, I think, is how it works. So uh, got 6G, that's cool. Um, no, in all seriousness, uh, it, I, I'm stoked to get it. Um, it's been... Almost exactly six months since I got my uh, original or finished getting my uh, original vaccination. So in May, um, and yeah, I'm I'm stoked to get. It. I think uh, it's definitely something that people should do. And I have very recently uh, <laughs> kind of had a personal experience with its importance because everyone in my immediate family, uh, that well, my parents and my brother. Uh, all just got COVID this week, so and they're mostly not vaccinated. I think my mom is, but um, definitely get it because it helps and saves lives. And I'm, uh, you know, a little, little worried about my family. It sounds like they're not doing too bad, like, symptom-wise, but it's always scary, and uh, it kind of sucks that it, I think it could have been easily prevented. So, Yeah, and a lot of people like to point out that, like, Hey, why why get vaccinated for something that just has like a one percent mortality rate? Well, for like every one percent that dies from this, like there's twenty times the amount of individuals that just have permanent heart problems for the rest of their life, and that's yeah. no fun. Like, get vaccinated. Yeah. That that's a good easy way to protect yourself for one 
or like a few measly days of being uncomfortable maybe like depending on if if it influences you like Lynn my wife her arm hurt that was it I got a fever for night that was it for my like second shot and we're both looking forward to get our boosters in like a day so we're really looking forward to that uh, and if you have the ability to get vaccinated or have the ability to tell someone that's close to you to get vaccinated please do it's it's super super important yep and you know one percent of a billion people is a lot of people that are dead. It is indeed. So it's uh, <laughs> taking it into context. It's, it's a lot of people. Yeah. And 20 times that is even more people uh, that you don't yes. want to get some to... heart and lung damage. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bummer. Fun, I, the best kind of damage. I, I've been thinking about this a lot because of my family um, getting COVID. It's, it's not the same, but I think it's pretty close to wearing a seatbelt. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could drive all day, every day and never get in a car crash. But at the same time, there are things you can't control and you definitely could. So, yeah, they call them accidents for a reason. It's not because people are like gunning out for you. It just happens. Um, and a seatbelt is the easiest way to not die in a car accident or to prevent fatal injury or even a little bit of injury. Um, like it can really help. So just great analogy back to like a vaccine. Like, yes, there, it does seem like it's been rushed, even though it wasn't like, there's a lot of research that went into this for decades and it just happened to align well with, uh, like COVID coming out that we were lucky enough to be able to use a new type of vaccine that is really doing a lot of excellent work at preventing a lot of people from dying so if you can it really like that that booster really boosts your own uh, ability to protect yourself like way past what the two shots did uh so if you can get it definitely get it i think that is our ticket to normality going forward so uh on that wonderful note i want to thank everyone uh for listening in this week Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes get released. And feel free to tweet at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who's at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buniel. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. So I actually do have a piece of tech that we can kind of mini review for Commented Out. Okay. And that is this wonderful gizmo, oh, which is the, okay. the Game & Watch Legend of Zelda thing. And look how cool this is. As you pull it, it's like a different game underneath. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Yeah, when you mentioned that they're still making things, I was like, oh, I know exactly what he's talking about. That's cool. Yeah, so that's uh, this little gizmo. Have you played with it? Here you can see Spencer in the reflection. <laughs> I, <laughs> I totally have played with it. Um, it charges via USB-C, which I think nice. is awesome. No more mini USB, micro USB or whatever oh it's called. Oh my gosh, worst. Um, and it is through this iteration of the original Legend of Zelda that I have gone the farthest on the original Legend of Zelda because that game is hard. Um, yes. that is and does say. not hold your hand it does not hold your hand at all 
Um, I consistently die within like 10 screens, but, um, like, I guess just having it in my hand makes it fun to just like try again, uh, and keep going. So I've stumbled upon a level three and, uh, made it halfway through that. I don't know where levels one and two are, so <laughs> still trying to search for those. Um, it's okay. I have almost enough rupees to buy arrows. I don't know if that's going to be useful. There's no hand-holding, as Spencer said. It's just like, go adventure, have fun. Uh, so that's what I've been doing this past week. Nice. So it's got one and two. Does it have... I thought it had three things, right? Yeah, so it has It has one and two. Uh, it ha- actually has one and two and uh, Link's Awakening as well, uh, oh, which is the Game Boy that's game. that's sweet. Mm-hmm. Link's Awakening is great. Yeah, and and then it has uh, a game and watch game called Vermin, which is uh, themed after Link. So it's Octoroks mm. that are kind of coming up, uh, and oh, you have cool. to smash them with the hammer. Uh, and then it has a clock and timer, which are completely interactive. So it will show the clock yes. as a level. So the water would be the the numbers of the clock, and you as Link get to navigate around them and try to survive as long as possible. That's super cool. Um... For the viewers at home, and mostly me, how much is that, and are they still available? <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, it just came out. Um, I think it was Super under cool. 100 bucks. Seems like you're searching, so we'll find out soon. I am. Yeah, I uh, I didn't. I wasn't super interested in the Mario one, but the uh, Zelda one sounds super, super cool. $50. Not bad. Yeah, so if you can get it before the scalpers do, uh, highly recommend it. Yes. It's a Game fun little stock. gizmo. Oh, and Best Buy. Hey, they're in stock. Hey, cool. That's fun. Yeah, I don't know what it's what is up with like Nintendo and scalpers. I wish Nintendo just did what Apple did and just continues taking back orders, you know? Like, yes, it mm-hmm. will ship in five months. Who cares? My order's in, I am happy. It will eventually get here. Um Your place in line is there. Yes, exactly. Um like I think that Every company should do this. I don't know why no company does. Maybe they have like deals with like retail, I guess. I don't know. Just continue giving the retail what they need, but like allow people to just put in an order with confidence that they have a spot in line and a reasonable estimated date. Uh, and if they're not happy with that date, they can go retail hunting um, like I did for a Wii back when the Wii came out because that was like impossible to get. Yes. Um, so, Yeah. Nintendo and every other company out there just take take back orders on your own shop like it's amazing that Nintendo didn't even have a shop like until recently yeah it's like a switch through it or is it just like the accessories I don't know but yeah I mean you're right it was you bought the um you got in like the first round of the wireless Nintendo 64 controller yeah they were out of stock for a couple weeks I got one in that next um iteration and then now it says like they won't be available till like spring of 2022 or something it's like mm-hmm. just yeah i agree just let me just let me order it like give you my money and know that it'll come sometime and then there's like not the onus of Anxious. going back <laughs> anxiety in, and yeah going back three months later when i forgot about it and then missing it again mm-hmm. bummer but cool i uh i'm very tempted to go get one sounds like there are it's it's selling out there's one 21 miles away from me that i might just go and get <laughs> do it i should 
before it's Black Friday. Cool. Once once the Ooh, the yeah. swarm enters any store, it's just going to be nothing left. <laughs> yeah, whether on. it was discounted or not. Which sucks for everyone listening to this. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> You're not going to be able to happened. benefit. So, hope that you had good luck. I'm not planning on buying anything, but, you know, for stay all those safe. that are getting get, getting their yearly TV or whatever, yes, please stay safe. <laughs> it, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I'm sure that it, it'll be a lot more intense than it was last year. Mm-hmm. Nothing really went on last year anyway. I don't know. There's always a chance that everyone got jaded because they stopped having anything for like Black Friday anyways, like anything yeah. reasonable. Uh and well, the... it has extended for like 2 months. Oh, our Black Friday sale in May. Yes. Um so like, I don't know. Have we reached the full year of Black Black Friday? <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but it's seriously been like I've been seeing like pre-Black Friday deals on Amazon and Newegg for yeah, at least since the start of the month. It's like why? Can we just either call them normal deals or yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if if like Black Friday continues to be a thing. Yeah. I don't know. In the next Apple calls it a so. holiday shopping event now. Yes. They're not even acknowledging that's called Black Friday anymore. Probably a good strategy, honestly. Anyways. Bye everyone. Bye.